Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Welcome to a Marketing Experiments web clinic. Uh, if you've attended many of these before, this one's going to be a little different. It's going to have some unique value for you. In the past, we've talked a lot about our research findings, about methodologies to optimize specific parts of your home page and landing page and path. Today, we're going to talk about research we've conducted with 2,673 marketers. <clears throat> to take it, take it back a step, okay? Sure, you might want to optimize your funnel and your landing page, but how do you get that done in your organization? That's something we're going to help you with today. We're going to help you create a plan of action to get it done in your organization, to sell your CEO and business leaders, to sell your investors. If you're an agency or a consultant, to sell your, uh, your clients about why they should optimize and how they can get it done. So first of all, let me handle housekeeping uh, if you are new to a web clinic. These web clinics are, we like to think, a little different, a little more interactive than most webinars out there. One way we like to communicate with you is through hashtag web clinic on Twitter. You can also communicate through the Q&A feature on GoToWebinar, and uh, let me tell you a little also about what I'm seeing now and what you're not seeing. We've got a whole big team working on this webinar. It's not just me and Boris sitting uh, in our garage talking to you. We've got uh, Austin McCrys on the people who can answer your questions on GoToWebinar. We've also got Joelle Parra. She's working the boards and making sure all the audio is good for you. And we've got Paul Cheney in here and my boss, Todd Lebo, the Senior Director of Content and Business Development. They're going to be monitoring Twitter and making sure all your questions are answered. We've also got Beth Caudell and our Director of Science himself, Bob Kemper, on the line. So feel free to fire a bunch of questions at us. But along with that, the main guy I want to ask questions to is Boris Grinko. He's our Associate Director of Product Development, who's been doing some pretty interesting research lately with um, um, both uh, Radiant 6 with social media as well as the research we're about to share with you. Uh, before engaging in this, though, he worked right here in Marking Experiments uh, in the office with us. I frequently see him late in the office strumming his guitar. Uh, singing, I don't know, maybe Russian love tunes. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what he was singing. But, but more importantly, while he was here working with our research partners, some, some Fortune 500 companies you would have heard of, some smaller companies, um, you know, they, they were able to ask him all sorts of questions about how to optimize their funnel and how to get things done. And I'm not going to put him on the spot and ask him how much uh, he was charging per hour when he did that, but uh, if you can ask your questions and get them answered by Boris, I assure you it will be very valuable. I am the uh, guy on the left. I'm the director of editorial content here, and I work on both the marketing experiments and marketing Sherpa sites. And the first thing I want to show you is actually from our sister brand, Marketing Sherpa. This is a case study with a company called uh, Giggleprint. And I'm actually excited about it. Uh, the marketer behind this is a woman named Sharon Moss. And she's often on our web clinics. And if you're on today, Sharon, how you doing? Um, let's talk about what Sharon was trying to do. She was trying to increase online purchases. But not only was she trying to increase online purchases, what she was trying to do is please her boss, right? Because put yourself in these shoes, you, you know. Your boss comes to you and say, uh, the conversion is not what we want it to be. Make it better, right? That's, that's not what we want to get. I want to get a pat on the back. But you come, you've got that challenge. How are you going to address it, right? So in my mind, there's, there's a few different ways you can address it. Option one, increase traffic, right? Increase your media spend, more PPC ads, maybe more SEO, whatever you can do to get more traffic going down that funnel and to convert that traffic, right? If your conversion rate is whatever it is, 10%, you know, if you just double your traffic from 10,000 to 20,000, then more people are going to convert, right? That's one way to do it. costs a lot of money. That's one way to do it. Another way, option two, hey, go out there. There's a lot of great marketing talking heads. There's a lot of blogs. 
There's a lot of websites where they just say, here, here's a rote best practice. Make the button blue and you'll get better conversions. Uh, you know, put everything above the fold and you'll get better conversions. And it might be easier if you just uh, looked at those best practices and uh, said to yourself, hey, I'll make the button blue, I'll, I'll put it to everything above the fold, I've got my new page, it's all better, everything's going well. Option three, and we're clearly biased on this or we wouldn't be talking about this entire topic. Option three is optimization. Optimization at its very core makes something better. And to do that, you can't just throw more money at it. You can't just throw up what someone else is doing. You've got to dive in there and figure it out for yourself. Figure out what works best based on the data you have, based on getting your hands dirty, testing things, getting in there with your IT team, your web design team. And so I'm sure you won't be surprised to find out Sharon shows optimization, right? She got in there, she analyzed the data, and she discovered that about half of it, 51.63% to be exact, of all the traffic that was coming through, right, was bouncing from the shopping cart to the homepage. So, again, not a great way to sell people sending them to your homepage instead of your shopping cart when they're wanting to get to your shopping cart. But she was trying to figure out why these highly motivated customers are bouncing. Not going to get too deep into here. I just want to set up what, what happened. Found out by diving a little deeper that it wasn't just all traffic was being treated the same way. Returning customers were getting sent to that cross-sell page. But new customers were going to the home page. So she worked with IT. She fixed this problem, sent new customers to the cross-sell page, and the results were pretty dramatic, a 43.4% increase in total sales. Now only a little over 17% exit to the home page instead of that huge 51.6%. So she uh, was able to please her boss without investing more in a media spend, without just guessing and throwing things up there. But now I've got Boris Grinko on the line, and I want to ask him, Boris, aside from the obvious downside in spending more money to drive more traffic, uh, why would you not want to just send more traffic down the funnel and, and, and get more conversion that way? Right, it makes sense, right? So increasing marketing spend and driving more traffic, it's pretty straightforward logic. And it really is. But it also means that at the same time, you're losing the same proportion of visitors. So it's like pushing more water through the through leaky pipe, as this um, <laughs> illustration uh, shows. Uh, more water will come out on the other end, but you also lose more at the same time. So uh, by focusing on what happens with visitors you are getting now, which is what this case study demonstrated, you can increase the return on the same investment. Uh, this company didn't drive any additional traffic, as you saw. All they did was change the way, uh, change what they did with the traffic they already had. And this is a very common problem uh, that marketers have to deal with. And our study uh, actually uh, demonstrated some of that. Uh, we, um, as marketers, you know, we get pulled in all kinds of different directions. Uh, but a lot of the time we're asked just to get, get us more traffic, get us more traffic, uh, which is a way to get more sales that's just, it's as obvious as it is inefficient. Um, so I'm sure I'm preaching to, to the choir here about the importance of LPO. I have to do a little bit more selling on, on other uh, webinars. I think the audience here is, a little, is kind of pre-sold. Um, but uh, so let's say we're all in agreement on the fact that we need it. Now, how do we get it? If landing page optimization were easy, um, you probably wouldn't be in this clinic today and would, be, would not be spending all this time and effort and research, uh, and we wouldn't be either, not to mention all the other you know, authors and researchers that are doing this. Uh, and in my experience, uh, working with research partners uh, on, in marketing experiments and also teaching LPR workshops and also just uh, taking uh, questions even on today's clinic, we asked some questions uh, in the, uh, on the registration form, 
most of the time, marketers are asking very, very, very tactical questions, as you see on the screen. Uh, I would even say they're maybe a little too tactical. Uh, they want to know, like, the best color of a button, the best font size. Uh, I was doing some on-site consulting with a large company in San Jose in California, and I, I had probably two dozen marketers from different parts of the organization uh, in the room reviewing their email and landing pages that our team had developed recommendations for. And the recurring question that these marketers were asking was, should we have three or four or five bullet points in each email message? And I recognize the need for simple, straightforward answers, but in marketing, we collect psychological factors uh, with highly diverse, highly diverse offers on the one hand and highly diverse preferences on the other. So we need to focus on having a strategy to figure out what works in each individual case rather than a one-size-fits-all solution. So questions like, you know, graphics or text, short or long copy, um, are simply, I would say they're not the right questions to ask, especially in a vacuum, when you're not looking at a specific page or specific product or a specific, in particular, customer segment or traffic source, and we'll talk about that later. But, uh, and, you know, Dan always tries to pin me down on this, on this button question, and, uh, I just don't feel right answering it, but I heard Dan was running his own secret experiments in the basement in a secret lab. Oh, that's it for I know you say, I know you say there's no ultimate button, but that's it. Today on the web clinic for the first time, I know every other web clinic we've told you, you've got to test, you've got to find out what button works for you. I'm going to tell you right now the ultimate button. This button, I guarantee, works for everyone on the call. Get ready. This is the ultimate button, right? Think about it. You've got a shirt on, right? You want to take that shirt off. You never can't find the button. It's not too small. It's not the wrong color, so you don't want to mess with it. You always take that shirt off. There's 100% conversion rates. I don't see anyone walking around today keeping their shirt on because they didn't like the button. Okay. We, that, that's, that's the only joke at your expense on this website. Well, we, we got one more at the end, but that, that's the main joke uh, uh, at, at all the marketers' expense on this web clinic, I promise. But... The reason for this, why I understand why people want to know, you know, what button to use, right? As marketers, we're always trying to look for that quick fix, you know? It's, it's, we're, we're busy, we're time pressed, we don't have the time to dive in and figure everything out all the time. We just want to know, just give us the answer. Unfortunately, it's, it's not that easy. Um, on, the, on the same, uh, in fairness though, landing page optimization, optimization in general is not that easy, right? If it was that easy, we'd all be doing it. And here's uh, one of the first insights from Boris's book. Uh, the CMO is saying that we're still trying to figure this out. They know LTO is important. They know optimization is important. They're still trying to figure out, how do you get it done in your organization? Right? There's so many things in our organization we know we should be doing, but either we're not at the level where we can uh, just ourselves get the resources. We need to get approval from a business leader, um, or perhaps we're an agency or consultant trying to work with a company. So how do you get those resources? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be drawing on a study of 2,673 marketers. Like I said, here, uh, through marketing experiments, we've done a lot of this landing page optimization research. In the past, we've told you about different methodologies for testing and how to improve your pages. But one thing that we always come across, we did a web clinic on this about a year ago, is marketers say, how do I get this done? How do I build that business case for testing in my organization? So we took Boris, we sent him out for four months on a journey. He encountered 2,673 marketers, and today he's going to tell us what he's learned. What have you learned, Boris? Well, um, I learned a lot. Uh, and it was a long trip because I had to go and, you know, knock in 2,673 doors and asking people questions. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, 
Um, but uh, also getting involved in this benchmark study was a great opportunity for me to use what I learned as working um, with marketers directly on, on optimization projects and learning, having learned about the challenges that they face uh, every day and the questions and needs that they have you know, out there in the fields and apply those to be able to um, build this study. And what we're going to talk about today um, is going to be uh, a number of topics that are covered in the book. Of course, um, in the amount of time we have, we're not going to cover any one of them in their entirety, which you see actually on the screen, are the list of chapters and just would be highlighted the ones that we're going to kind of touch upon in, in the clinic today. All right, so let's walk through how we're going to do that for you. Like I said, it's essentially what we're going to help you do today is build your business case for optimization. If you're an agency or a consultant, this is easy, you want to sell your clients that optimization is the right way to go. But if you're a marketer and you, you have to sell a CEO, a business level decision maker, even if you're leading a company and you have to sell your investors or your venture capitalists, um, that's, that's, you know, everyone has someone essentially have to sell to get this done. So first we're going to start by talking about um, question number one. What is the state of LTO among your peers? Right, that's the first question we're going to look at. So we want to give you a sense of what your peers are doing. So when you're presenting this, I know like when I've presented uh, marketing plans or business plans in the past, you know, something uh, business leaders would always ask me, like, well, what are others doing, right? You always want to get a sense of are you going to be a leader? Are you a laggard? How, how do you compare to others? There are some companies that just have that, um, that inherent culture where they want to be out front and leading no matter what. And, um, but there are other companies that don't want to uh, – you know, be the first people over the cliff or whatever. They, they want to be amongst the herd. So we're going to set up for you with some of Boris's research, some, some uh, interesting data here to help you understand what your peers are doing among LTO. So one thing that Boris found is it's very clear that, um, you know, marketers understand that many dollars are lost every day. They are losing money doing what they're doing now, right? And so let's take a look at what uh, some of Boris's data tells us about how they make marketing decisions. Maybe, maybe that's one reason why. Um, one sentiment that uh, we found with many marketers, and it just speaking from experience, and I think a lot of people in the audience today know this, um, one sentiment that many LPO-aware marketers uh, have is this degree of frustration. We saw it in the previous quote. And, you know, uh, other people, especially the executive in the organization, maybe they just, you know, they're not getting it. And why is this so frustrating? Uh, it's, um, well, we can see the data in the screen, right? So what we see is that... Um, what uh, Avinash Kaushik had coined the term as uh, HIPAA, which stands for highest paid person's opinion, that tends to rule a lot of the time, right? So as opposed to data or as opposed to test results. But actually what we also see is that HIPAAs are not necessarily the greatest threat to a website's performance. It's not just these arbitrary decisions by, by individual um, authorities in an organization. It's also making decisions by committee. It can be just as problematic because still you're dealing with individual people's opinions. And even if you agree and you voted and you decide on the best possible page, that's still an opinion that won, but it's not necessarily the best page or the best process um, to be used on your website. What we see is that only one-fifth of the marketers that we surveyed said that their organization makes decisions based on validated data. And, of course, well, the, the flip side is that this spells tremendous opportunity for you. So if you are doing this, that means you're in the minority and you're actually uh, making the right kinds of decisions for your website. Uh, and I, what I want to do is uh, take a look at where our audience stands in terms of their LPO engagement. So we're going to run a quick poll uh, to, to ask the same question we asked uh, in the survey. 
case. Yeah, so we want to get a sense we probably have a very skewed audience right here, of course, because you're coming on an optimization clinic. So we don't want to, you know, we've run polls in the past, and we've had people say, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't scientific, and we assure you this is not a scientific process. <laughs> yeah, data, yeah. data in Boris's book has been much more thoroughly vetted using uh, statistical techniques as well. But we just wanted to get a, a general sense of the people on the call. Uh, if, you're, if you are optimizing for conversion without testing at all, uh, if you optimize and you're running your own tests, figure out the best version, or if, if you don't optimize for conversion at all. So, yeah, and the uh, thing is, uh, sorry to, to interrupt, Dan. Uh, in the benchmark survey also, we had a relatively highly motivated sample, probably the same way as we do in the clinic today. The reason is that survey respondents, just as the uh, marketers that joined us today, uh, tend to be somewhat more experienced in LPO, that's because that's why they were interested in interested in the topic in the first place. But that's actually a good thing, especially for the benchmark report, because it's the benefit of using best practices from marketers with a relatively higher level of expertise. And at the same time, it's a, it also sets a relatively optimistic standard for everybody else. So that's a good thing. So you, you can use uh, information that's uh, um, relatively higher level. All right, let's see what our, yeah, let's see what our audience of professional marketers said. So, so 48% uh, optimize and run their own tests to confirm the, the best version. That's great. That's, that's almost half. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Again, we have a, a pretty biased audience. Uh, we also welcome the 21% on there who do not optimize for conversion. I think what you see here today is going to help you uh, make that case to your business leaders and perhaps to yourself as well. Uh, Boris, why don't we take a look at uh, what you found in, in your research. It's, it's a little little different. It's a little different. So what, we definitely seem to have a pretty sophisticated audience on the, uh, on the clinic today because in the survey, uh, which is more representative of the, of the average, although still, again, relatively more uh, sophisticated than the, the overall average, um, but more than the good thing is that over two-thirds of survey respondents did say that they are involved in LPO in some way uh, or form, whether it was testing or without even given the, the bias in, in the data. At the same time, we see here that 31% of them said they did not engage in LPO at all in 2010. And that, again, that spells opportunity for other marketers. I think Boris found uh, from his research that marketers, even if they're not testing today, they do get a sense that they want to use A-B and multivariate testing. Right, Boris? Yes, and in fact, if you look at, at marketers that were not engaged in LPO, so of those who were not engaged in LPO in 2010, I have to kind of explain the chart a little bit. Those who were not engaged in LPO in 2010 at all, they, respond, they responded roughly in, in a ratio of 2 to 1 that they were planning to implement some form of LPO projects in 2011. Also, on top of that, so that was on the left side of this chart, on the right side, those who were engaged in, in best practices-based LPO, so people who were doing some optimization, but they were not testing yet, they were even more likely to take it to the next level and to start testing. So the momentum of LPO is very high. Of course, you've got to you know, take this with a grain of salt because, of course, these are futuristic projections. And as uh, you know, scientists and um, champions of testing, we, we know that you know, just because someone said in the survey we're going to do this doesn't mean they're going to actually do it. But still, you can see that the sentiment is this is important. And in terms of... Um, using this information as a tool for you to sell LPO upstream to, to your CMO or CEO, this is the, the very stark evidence that LPO is important and it's becoming not only a source of competitive advantage, but maybe at some point also a, a necessity. Source of revenue. Exactly. So, you know, the question is, you know, what's driving this? And, of course, it's, it's the cash. And um, 
those of you who are joining uh, this clinic, not for the first time, but you've seen a lot of case studies that Marketing Experience presents, you know, a couple of times a month on these outsized returns that LPO provides. Uh, so, again, I, I don't think I have, to need, I have to sell this audience on this, but, uh, you know, Marketing Experience clinics a couple of times a month show these double, tri triple-digit conversion improvements uh, that are not atypical for landing page optimization. Okay, so now that we've given you a general sense of uh, how your peers are approaching LPO, uh, let's take a look at how marketers are seeking to fill the resource gap to start optimizing. So essentially, as you try anything new, I mean, optimization isn't unique in this, this case. Social media, we see this as well, and, and as I said, Boris is also conducting research uh, into social media with uh, Radiant 6. Maybe he can tell us some similarities he's seen, but, but anything that your company's trying to do new to improve, uh, you need to fill some resource gaps that you don't currently have. Now, uh, when I was talking to Todd Lebo about this earlier today, he made an excellent point. He said, as marketers, we are essentially all optimizers, right? I mean, we're trying to increase conversion rates, we're trying to increase traffic for our sites, increase sales, increase leads. So there's definitely something inherently in us where we understand the basics of optimization. But that doesn't mean that there aren't certain uh, specific skills that your organization doesn't have right now that you need to fill. So let's take a look at uh, how uh, organizations are doing that, whether they're, they're trying to fill that expertise in-house or they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, outsource that and, and feel like they don't have that expertise in-house. I think there's a certain commonality between uh, when they try to launch uh, an optimization uh, program, as with any program, and what they get out at the end of that uh, funnel, so to speak. Wouldn't you agree, Boris? Yeah, and uh, actually what I wanted to share is um, this excerpt from the study which shows kind of this nice summary of the data on the LPO project lifecycle. So on the one hand, this should give marketers that have not done LPO um, kind of a sense of project load that's involved. Although again, this is this is an average. So and if you saw the variance, it's pretty pretty broad. So some companies do a lot more than this. But um, you can kind of give a sense of what uh, how many projects uh, organizations typically typically get through per year. Um, but what, also what the study has revealed is that almost what you can see is almost half of the projects, 40 percent, don't make it even to test completion. They die somewhere in the planning or development stages, uh, which means that, again, this is, a, this is an operational issue, and we wanted to focus this uh, clinic on, on operations more than, than anything else. And in the study, what we go through is a number of different challenges. We're going to show you a couple of them uh, today, but just all these different kinds of challenges that marketers are facing and their different degree of, of uh, influence on their ability to get engaged in LPO. And also we talk a little bit about you know, ways that they learn and pick up these skills. But um, certainly one way is to look at uh, how do we, as I'm saying, so how do we close this gap? Yeah, so we got a great comment here on a hashtag web clinic. At PhotoBethR said, if landing pages are camels, horses designed by committee, or the hippo, highest paid person's opinion wins, are we jellyfish? <laughs> so we certainly don't want them to feel like, like jellyfish, so maybe we can give some, some structure to that, uh, I don't want to say a backbone, but some structure to that, uh, to, to those people that feel like jellyfish out there. Before we dive a little deeper, uh, clearly hiring more development and creative staff is important, as you can see in this marketer's quote. Boris, maybe from your research, can you give us a high-level look at uh, an overall strategy you think an average marketer with limited resources could take to begin LPO? Clearly, we're talking now about setting that business case to help you get the resources, but, but where else should they begin? Um, the question is, as far as the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know, I know one thing we've talked about in the past is 
is to start small, test, have that first basic test, and use that as part of this, this business case to uh, make more of a case for testing. Sure. Have yeah, absolutely. And there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg problem here, right? So a lot of um, questions at market. One of the challenges uh, that I don't have a data, data for in, in, in this deck here, but one of the big challenges is demonstrating demonstrating ROI of landing page optimization. What we've seen is that, you know, vastly it's, you know, 60 to 1 that can't calculate ROI um, are showing that the ROI is positive. Uh, but the problem is, 40% of marketers either don't know what their ROI is or tried and could not figure it out. So there's, there's this gap between uh, being able to demonstrate results and then being able to use that, those results to get budget and consequently resources to get more results. So key is to be able to use to find these low-hanging fruit. And actually, in some sense, it should be easy. So if you're not, if your organization has not been involved in LPO before, you probably have more of that low-hanging fruit available and it's easier to apply best practices, even uh, potentially testing, because you can identify these big, big, just like in the case that actually we had at the beginning of this um, uh, clinic, where a huge uh, improvement, I think it was some, somewhere around 40-some percent of new cars uh, were being lost in this funnel week, and basically by recovering them, it was a huge huge increase in the revenue the site could, uh, could obtain. So there's all these low-hanging fruit, and we'll talk actually a little bit later about the importance of looking at data and web analytics, because that's where you're going to start finding these big drop-offs. You can focus just on those. Um, you know, as, as I was saying, you know, we're pulled always in a lot of different directions. There's this email campaign that we need to create a landing page for, or there may be just the fires that need to be put out or something just broken on the website. But taking a step back and looking at the analytics, and identifying pages, and it depends, of course, on the level of sophistication that you may have with uh, your analytics tools. But being able to identify steps in the process or individual pages that seem to be responsible for major drop-offs, that's how you can identify, well, here's what I need to focus on. Let me figure out if I can quickly make a change. And sometimes it, it will be obvious. Um, again, the, the example at the beginning of the clinic, once they, figured, once they saw the numbers, when they saw there's, hey, there's this huge drop-off here. What's going on? All they had to do is just pry it open a little bit, and it, the answer was obvious. So if you haven't done LPO, probably you have a lot of those. Use those simple changes. It's just critical that you also measure so you can actually demonstrate that. Here's what was happening before, and here's what we have after. So you can have numbers in hand to build a case for LPO. Well, I wonder if one of those challenges of measuring ROI is, like the previous slide you showed, that so many, uh, there's such a drop-off between what's started and what's completed. And clearly, you can't show ROI if you don't complete the project, that's, that's step one, right, get it done. So let's, let's dive more and talk more into uh, how marketers are trying to address that and those, those gaps they see in their skills. One way, they're trying to hire more development creative staff, but how many marketers are actually trying to hire and do that in-house versus how many are, are outsourcing that? Sure, so, and this is kind of pretty straightforward solution, right? So if you, don't, if you can't do it yourself, you can outsource this. But actually, what you've seen that of marketers that perform these functions that you see on the screen, and um, you know, we've had some other ones, but these are some of the key functions related to LPO. Uh, we see that the level of outsourcing is actually not terribly high. Uh, and marketers that do outsource, a high portion of those have in-house staff that supports the same function. So you see that both 
sliver of, of um, in, in the middle. That's the overlap between the two, between the employees and the consultants. And uh, in my experience working on these kinds of consulting engagements, you know, having in-house counterparts that understand optimization and testing is actually incredibly valuable uh, because it, it helps the project move along. So it's not like the consultant is there um, you know, making their case, but nobody's listening to them, nobody understands what they're doing. Although a lot of the time, uh, companies just, be, with the virtue of having paid a lot of money, uh, <laughs> will listen to the consultant anyway because that's kind of uh, the built-in value. But um, given how important LPO is to the business, it absolutely makes sense that it shouldn't be entirely performed outside of the company. You have somebody in-house who at least understands and is aware of, of the process. Because this LPO, as Dan, you were saying earlier, you know, it's not easy. Um, but it is manageable. So it, it's complicated. There's a lot of expertise involved, but there's no reason not to have anyone in the company who has at least some idea of what, you know, data analysis and design of experiments are all about. Well, along with that uh, data analysis and design experiments, you know, a question we, we often get, and uh, I'd like to get your insights into this as well, Boris, but people also often ask what specific tools or resources they would recommend to the, the marketers trying to do this, so especially those in-house marketers. You know, what, what would they recommend? And, and we don't uh, tend to recommend a specific platform because we work with uh, Omniture, we work with Google, we work with uh, lots of different platforms. For example, Google Analytics, or the part of Google that is a sponsor for our upcoming optimization summit. I think, I think it's actually the second letter O in Google as a sponsor. <laughs> no, I like when you search in Google and there's about 100 O's because it's so long. Maybe we've got the, the 14th O or something, but uh, Boris and I will both be speaking there. But anyway, we don't, we don't tend to dive as deep into the tools because, you know, we work with a lot of these different vendors. Um, they're similar in some ways. They're different. We, we try to focus more on that methodology that, that you use when you're testing. And so, well, you know, some resources we can provide you, of course, we have our own. You can go to marketing experiments, to uh, our research archives there, and, and learn about all these different ways you can optimize uh, your pages and your buttons through testing. You can also learn about what I'm speaking about, what I'm getting excited about, is how to make sure you have valid, statistically significant tests. Uh, one chart that Boris isn't able to show you today from his book is the surprisingly uh, low number, I thought, of marketers that uh, don't uh, validate their tests at all. I believe it was uh, only 60% of marketers validate their tests. Right. Yeah, it's 60-40. Yeah. So, so when you're thinking of resource, I mean, think about you got to look at what the fundamentals of testing and, and optimization are, and, and some of those things are statistical significance and validity and understanding what it means to have a valid test. So you can learn more about that on marketingexperiments.com. Uh, Boris, do you have any other thoughts about any tools or resources? Um, and, well, uh, not even just because we don't want to be, you know, um, biased in which tool we recommend, but really, on, as far as web analytics and testing, uh, the industry is fairly mature. I wouldn't say that all the kings have been worked out and every tool is perfect. And there are definitely differences between them, and I would encourage marketers to explore those. Uh, from working with different companies, we've seen that, you know, depending on what these needs are, depending on what specific functions their website has built in, different analytics and, and testing tools will work better. And they are still different. You know, Google Analytics and Omniture Site Catalyst are not uh, identical. Um, there are some advantages to each one, and uh, you have to know which one to use. Uh, and it's actually and it's a substantial investment, even so Google's tools is, tool is free, but actually you do invest a lot of time and resources into installing it. So it's, you know, if, if you get married to a particular tool and you spend time um, rolling it out, uh, you have to be sure that it's going to work for you because if it doesn't, then you not, not only have wasted time 
setting it up and installing it, also all the data is collected. It's not as easy to, you know, take it somewhere else with you. So uh, there's a lot of different issues, and you do want to have that data. The data is probably one of the most valuable things you can you can have in LPO. It's not really the best practice. It's really the data that you have that you can analyze to identify, like I was saying, you know, those low-hanging low fruits, or once you pass low-hanging fruits to maybe slightly high-hanging fruit opportunities. And so uh, the flip side is not to give you a non-answer. The key thing is to investigate each tool, see, and you can try them out, see if they work. And uh, at the same time, there are a lot of general things that are, that are the same across all tools. And so if you're just starting out, probably for purposes, uh, pretty much any of the leading uh, brands is going to work for you, and you may necessarily have to learn. I absolutely encourage everyone to use you know, the learning, the tutorials, and so on that uh, vendors provide, and they are pretty extensive. And you do get a lot of value out of it. It's absolutely time uh, very well spent. Yeah, and I think uh, you made a good point, Boris. We're doing a marketing trip, a case study with a company named Clicksmail, and uh, they sell all sorts of different email service providers. Uh, and they, they created something called the Espinator to show that, um, you know, it's not one email service provider, or in this case, not one optimization analytics and testing tool that works best, period. It's what works best for you. And I think that's what you have to discover. So let's, let's dive again into how to uh, fill these gaps with your resources. And then uh, we're going to end it with, uh, I think, something that's going to be very helpful, give you a high-level look at how you can help starting to put together a uh, very basic plan, an optimization plan. And, and I think Boris is going to be able to use not only his uh, research that he generated with this book, but, but again, all the hands-on uh, research he's done with our research partners to help you with that. But let's dive back in. So as you said, Boris, um, the challenge is even uh, if, if you've got people in-house or if you're outsourcing, the challenge is you need that cooperation need to make sure the resources are available and there's buy-in and commitment throughout the organization, or you can set up the best possible test and they may never run, right? You may just never have the resources to even put the uh, simple analytics code on a page, right? So regardless of how you start, you need to be able to make sure you get it done so you're not just a statistic on that slide that Boris showed earlier about how, how much drop-off there is between beginning of an optimization project and actually getting that optimi optimized page live. Let's talk about outsourcing specific LPO functions and actually, I think if you're an agency or a vendor, you'll be very interested in this slide because it also shows where there's a gap between what agencies and vendors and consultants are providing to marketers, what marketers are looking for. Yeah, and so this is a nice little summary, kind of three-dimensional summary of uh, data on, on the one hand, availability of certain kinds of services from agencies, and on the other hand, the um, degree of, of expertise gap that we identified through the study that different uh, organizations have. And you can see that uh, design and management of experiments and data analysis are, are near the top of the demand scale, but it actually they're near the bottom of the uh, availability scale. So this is an opportunity, as Pam was saying, for, uh, for agencies to jump in and offer those services. And it's part of the reason why in the previous chart, chart we saw that those services are the least likely to be outsourced. Um, all, at the same time, it, it, it's also important that these services are so critical to the core operations or core LPO operations that it might be difficult to outsource them. Some marketers are probably just want to really keep it close to the, uh, to the best because this is really the core, the heart of LPO is really in uh, uh, data analysis. On the other hand, if you do choose to outsource, again, it's important that somebody in the organization, in the organization is at least informed on those topics. Um, and I hope that you know some of the folks in the audience today are doing. So this is what I get to do when I look at a chart. I just get to speculate. 
you know, I'm on the editorial side. I mean, Boris actually has to answer it with research, but I like looking at his charts and just speculating. And the interesting thing I noticed, I have, I have a passion in copywriting, and I said optimized copywriting, right? The real, relative availability of the service from marketing agencies. I'm particularly interested in this because we were just uh, working with Dr. Flint McLaughlin yesterday, the managing director of our labs, and as I talked about our upcoming optimization summit, he's going to be speaking about copywriting there. And I question how many of those agencies are actually offering optimized copywriting and how many are just offering copywriting. So that's also something to think about when you work with your agencies. I'm not trying to put the agencies on the spot. Get a real sense about what they mean by optimization. Is it just optimized because they have a you know, senior copywriter who they think is very good, or are they actually testing it and really working off some optimization principles? So that's my speculation, Boris. I don't know if your research supports it, but let's jump ahead. So, so I think why you're trying to set up these functions and make sure uh, you have all your bases covered beforehand when you're making this business case is because you're trying to set yourself up for success, right? I mean, that's what we're trying to do through this entire web clinic is help you set yourself up success for success when you're making that business case. And one thing you need to do is you need to make sure that someone is leading the charge for optimization, either you or someone on your staff. You need to make sure because it's so easy to have important tasks fall off the table and, again, get sidetracked. So, Boris, why don't you tell us about how companies are staffing up. Sure. So what we see in the study is this very steady growth in the number of employees involved in landing page optimization. Again, these numbers are somewhat optimistic because the survey respondents tend to be more aware of LPO as such. Again, same thing we're seeing in the clinic audience today. So even if, if we uh, survey the audience today, probably would see even higher numbers here. Um, and also, you know, as you can imagine, most companies that have zero employees involved in LPO were just not in, represented in the study uh, for the most part. Uh, so for the folks that are on the call today, this is probably very good news. If you have at least one person working on LPO, you're well in the game uh, for, for 2011. Uh, and as I was saying before, it's certain functions you do want to have either awareness or preferably somebody who's if not full-time, part-time responsibility is to be on top of these things because it's not just some, you know, it's not something you can just hire an intern for. And Dan mentioned there, you know, social media project. In social media, there was, there was the same kind of, um, you know, let's just hire an intern to do tweeting for us. And probably a lot of you have heard of all kinds of disasters, uh, just PR nightmares that has caused because the companies weren't treating uh, social media as an important uh part of what they do, and they just delegated it to somebody who, didn't, who wasn't experienced enough and with, with some detrimental results. LPO, same thing, and uh, it's probably easier not to make those mistakes in LPO because website as such is a much more mature part of the company, part of the business engine, so you don't just have some random person come in and, and change your pages for you. But still, it's important in so far as... Um, we didn't go too much in depth on the types of expertise that are required, but as you can imagine, with data analysis and design experiments, there's some fairly advanced level of expertise you can have in those topics, and it's important that there's some awareness of them at least, if not actual expertise in the organization. Yeah, at Boris, uh, as you talk about uh, you know staffing up and making sure you're getting the correct expertise, I'm, I'm following uh, Twitter hashtag Web Clinic here, and I gotta say I'm loving at PhotobethR. She was the one that tweeted about jellyfish. She said there's a huge difference between SEO-optimized copywriting and conversion-optimized copywriting. Know what you're getting. And that's, that's an excellent point. I think that you've got to keep that same point in mind as you're hiring and staffing up. That word optimization is attached to many things. For example, search engine optimization. 
just totally different. You're trying to bring in traffic to your site. What we're talking about, we're talking about optimization is you invest heavily, likely, in driving traffic to your site. You invest through billboards, through PPC ads, through uh, name on a stadium, uh, through uh, sales calls. A lot of what you do likely leads into a landing page, leads into a site, even a lot of those social media activities. And are you getting the best value? Are you making the most efficient use of all those investments in traffic you're already doing? So as Boris said, you've got to look for those key core competencies. Uh, among them, you know, data analytics, the ability to run tests, and ability to understand what we're really talking about when we're talking about optimization. And, and Absolutely. And, you know, not, not to dwell on the, on the SEO point, but uh, just real quick is you know, SEO copywriting you, and SEO in general are performed for the purpose of um, impacting what happens with the on the search engine. You are optimizing for the search engine uh, algorithm. You're not optimizing for human beings. Now, Google and so on will tell you, know, go ahead and optimize your site as much as you can for people, and we will figure out an algorithm that will actually take advantage of that, and so our algorithm will work like a human being. But as, you, as those of you who are SEO experts know that it's not the case. There is some sort of a disconnect between what you would do for a person and what you would do for a search engine. And so in that sense, LPO is very much about psychology, and we'll talk about that uh, in a second. Boris, you're setting me up perfectly. That's, that's our next topic. And so we've already talked about, you know, to say what are, what are your peers doing, what are other agencies doing, what is the state of LPO right now. We've talked about how to get those resources. But in the end, if you're going to make that business case for optimization, either to your clients or to your business-level managers, if you're going to get that budget, if you're going to set yourself up for success, you need to develop a proposed optimization plan, right? And this ties into, there's another great tweet on hashtag web clinic at Erica Rowe that's talking about, you know, optimization for what purpose? For what purpose? We talked about SEO. That's an entirely different optimization. Are you optimizing for conversions? Are you getting the best value? And we want to help you at a very base level develop a proposed optimization plan so you can understand how to get that value. So Boris put together, uh, from his years of experience, this LPO master task. And Boris, why don't you take us through? Let's start with step one here, explicitly determine the objective. I'm just guessing if you're trying to get somewhere you need, if you're trying to optimize, right, the very basis of optimization is knowing what you're optimizing for. You know, it's kind of like getting in a car and not knowing where you're going, right? Yeah, um, yeah. what I wanted to do with this uh, task list is just really help you, uh, the audience start planning their operations uh, for LPO. And uh, this is something that you can use to build a case for your CMO, for your CEO, or if you are one of those C folk. Uh, for yourself to be able to actually start implementing from here. And, uh, you know, we saw on this on this clinic we only have, what, 20% that we're not engaged in LPO at all. But this should be helpful for those who are as well because what we've seen is that even people who do uh, optimize or run tests, it's not always framed in, in a regular operational process that's installed. So it just kind of performed randomly without, um, without a plan in place. And what definitely we have found through just doing all this work with our research partners is that planning experiments, and it's also you know, just from the scientific method perspective, you have to have a design of experiments. You can't just throw things in there uh, because that's going to be incredibly inefficient and, uh, you know, if you just want to see what sticks, you can use all the tools and all the analytical, you know, um, all the analysis and have all the good statistics there. Um, you know, have statistical experts, but you're still not going to get good results because you don't have a plan in place that takes advantage of all, all the uh, experiments that you perform to be able to use, you know, in, let's say, interpretation of results to, to build the next experiment. 
Uh, but also from the operational perspective, you still need to be you need to have certain prerequisites. Uh, so it might seem simple, but explicitly determining the objective is absolutely critical. And before I go into that, uh, let me just set uh, the stage uh, by showing you how we conceptualize LPO in the first place. Um, and in part, this came out of this uh, marketing sherpa study to just really boil it down to two things. And it sounds primitive, but it's it just you know LPO is the intersection of the website and the visitor and how they interact. So the main attribute of the website is its objective. That is basically you know, the ultimate outcome that you want. And the main attributes um, of the visitors are their preferences and motivations. This is what they want or how, how badly they want it. I'm going to show you in probably a couple of slides a chart from the study that demonstrates which data marketers are using to determine these preferences and motivations. Um, but first, I want to talk about the easiest stuff, which is the objective. So for larger websites, uh, there, there may be more than one objective, although for a given interaction, you should try to narrow it down to one specific target business outcome. Uh, it could be you know, generating a lead, closing a sale, and so on. And I, I would not even say that's a best practice. I would say that it's the practice. Uh, and that's what we have on the screen. You know, LPO is web design with an agenda. That is the very core nature of uh, landing page optimization. Yeah, I, I love that line, Boris. I, I love that. Let me, I'm, I'm just going to jump in and talk all of you because I love this line. I love this line so much. I said, Boris, uh, he was kind enough to ask uh, me and a few others around here to take an early look at his book. And I was reading through his book, and I saw this line, and I loved it so much I had to tweet it before we even published the book. This is the tweetable line in the presentation, by the way, if you're looking for the tweetable line, uh, by at Grinko. And uh, someone tweeted back, and I, I don't know where they were working from, but they said, what are you saying, that design doesn't have an agenda? And, you know, I'm sorry to say, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. But when we talk about an agenda, we talk about, we talk about an ROI goal and an end result. And with many of the designers I've worked with, their main agenda is to make something look pretty. And that's not the agenda we're talking about now, are we, Boris? That's not how you make the business case, is it? No, absolutely. And it, that's the thing, you know, just responding to, to that comment, uh, to that tweet, was that, you know, there are other things that are also designed with an agenda. I'm not saying that LPO owns design. Um, there are other things that are designed for a purpose, but this is a, uh, as far as how uh, marketers change their web pages. A lot of the time, you're just pushing things around, like you said, you know, to make it look better, uh, to make it look good. And through experiments, and again, people who have been in these clinics for a while have seen probably a ton of cases where something that looks better actually does not perform better. So defining the objective is critical because you. The way you use it, so it's not just it's not just an exercise just to have an objective, you know, print it out and frame it and put it on your wall. You use it because uh, the way you use it is you can examine every single element in the page and every part of the conversion process with the, just a simple question, which is, does it help achieve the objective? If you're making changes to your website without that objective, so you, you just you, you could be just wasting your efforts because you could not be contributing to that end. I wanted to see if our audience, audience today has gone through the exercise of explicitly defining the objective uh, of their websites. We'll give the audience maybe 20, 30 seconds to respond. Uh, operationally speaking, uh, setting the objective is essential because it allows you also to prioritize optimization opportunities. Somebody asked that question earlier about, you know, how do we go, how do we get started? You know, how do we make that case? By, set, by going through the exercise of stating your objective, you can probably, you know, off the top of your head, everybody on this call can probably list, you know, five or ten things that you'd like to improve in your website. But by setting the objective, you can then 
prioritize them based on how much does this particular change that you want to make contribute to this objective. And sometimes, you know, there might be something broken on the site, but between looking at your objective and looking at your analytics, you may say, you know, nobody's visiting this page, or nobody's using this feature, it's going to take us so long to, to fix it, as opposed to we can go to this other page that everybody's going through, and it seems to be a bottleneck. There's so, you know, it's creating all these exits from the site. Uh, so let's investigate that, even though there's other things that might be also um, amenable to improvement, but not critical. Let's take a look at those results. So look, look at that, 41%. We've got a pretty advanced audience here. 41% have explicitly defined it and used it tactically. That 36% is another pretty big uh, group there that have never defined it officially. The opinions may differ. So hopefully you're getting something out of this uh, web clinic where you're able to uh, you know, define it more officially and make sure everyone gets on board. And that's partly, hopefully, what we're showing you here, how to get your business level leaders on board. But that 5%, I'm, I'm glad that that's a small number. Hopefully we're really serving you that uh, this web clinic is giving you the idea to uh, set that, determine that objective and make sure you're using it tactically throughout your organization. So how, how would people determine that objective, Boris? Yeah, so I just want to provide a very simple, you know, three-step exercise. And again, this is something you can probably do in an hour. Um, and this is probably where you do want to have uh, key stakeholders because what you start with is going to be the business objective. So if you have a business plan in place, uh, that's great because you can actually just copy and paste from there. Uh, but understanding your business objective first, then understanding how these, these business objectives map onto your website objectives. Uh, if your website is your business, even then it's not always exactly the same thing because you need to express your business objectives now in that second step in terms of things that need to happen on the website. Now, sometimes it's pretty straightforward. You know, we want people to buy stuff. Um, sometimes it's not as straightforward, in, in, especially in scenarios where it's not an e-commerce website, in which case there's probably a lot of different things your website visitors can do. And you might have, you might have multiple objectives then. One is maybe a direct request for, a, let's say, a request for a proposal. Another objective could be to get, let's say, somebody to just subscribe to a newsletter and so they can and be entered in, into a nurturing process. But it's important that you translate your general business objectives into specific things that need to happen on the website. And the last step, and then translate those also into actions that you want visitors to perform. So those, and it might seem like it's the same exact thing, but actually it's important to understand from the visitor's perspective, what do you want them to do? What, what do you want them to actually click? I mean, it's really getting it down to that kind of very primitive level of you want them to click on this button after reading this page. And that, of course, also has implications for how you define conversion. It's outside of the scope today, but that's something we also cover in the benchmark study is how marketers define a conversion. What, what, is that, what does that mean? But I know it's outside the scope today. Uh, and if we go to the next step, so the first step is to explicitly determine the objective. Second step, and it's, this is not, you know, it's, it's a big step, is to understand visitor preferences and motivations. And um, it's a... Of course, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, getting a human being to behave in a certain way, something that requires the right psychological, you know, pulling the right psychological levers, setting out and setting off the right psychological triggers. Um, in LPO, this means communicating the offer in a way that matches those preferences and motivations. Fundamentally, one of the things you need to identify, and this is something you'll see pretty easily from your web analytics, is to understand the page and paths that contribute to conversion. So that's what I was saying in terms of you know what's important, which pages are important for you to look at. You can you can see where people are actually going or where people are dropping off. 
And you can, from there, you can identify leaks in paths toward the objective. Um, if you're a little bit more sophisticated with your web analytics, you may be able to identify what are called virtual segments or active segments where you can see a page when people visit a particular page, those people convert really well. Or if they visit a different page, those people convert really badly. And you can start from there identifying not only leaks in a, in a kind of straightforward way where people drop off, but also pages that impact conversion directly. And lastly is identify significant visitor segments. That's probably the most complex part because it's not just something you can easily pull out of your analytics tools, although to some degree you can, and we'll show a chart in a second that gives you some of those, um, because you can develop segments based on the traffic source, but also, um, of course, the preference and psychographics that uh, work into it. We have a chart with some of the key um, sources of segmentation. And um, it's important to, uh, the, what we saw in the studies, and you see it on the right side of the chart, is that information about the visitor's past transactions on your website have been actually found the most, absolutely most valuable by marketers in building segments. And also at the same time, um, they're some of the most difficult to get. So um, why is this data so effective? So this, the two, two smaller dots on the right? It's because it tells you about visitors' preferences in a very direct way. And these are their preferences that they're expressed in the choices that they've already made. Um, this typically results in much higher correlations than all these other types of data. It's the difference between knowing that, the visitor, that visitors had arrived uh, during business hours tend to respond well to, let's say, emphasis on ex extended warranties, or knowing that the visitors that purchased extended warranties in the past respond well to offers that make, you know, extended warranties, say, part of the product selection process, as opposed to just some sort of later separate step. All right, Boris, what have you noticed to be the most significant leaks in LPO? We've got just a few more minutes. I want to definitely get into step three, get a few minutes on that. But Stuart from uh, our audience asked, I think, what is an excellent question. He wanted to know what you have noticed to be the most significant leaks in LPO. <laughs> in, in leaks in LPO as opposed to leaks in the, in the website? I think what he's talking about overall is, as we talked about, leaks in that funnel. So you're going through landing page optimization. What, what leaks have you noticed that people are uh, optimizing you know, to, to fight against? Where essentially is that low-hanging fruit? That was probably hard to say that for every organization. Yeah, it's, it's very, again, I try to avoid those kinds of broad questions because there is no best practice for everyone. But I would encourage marketers to examine steps that are the closest to the conversion and steps that are at the entrance pages because that's typically where you can, whether it's your home page or hopefully you have a dedicated landing page for certain uh, types of traffic, is where you can identify uh, big changes. So uh, rather than give you, you know, look at this page, look at that page, I'd say go to your analytics and see where are the largest exits are occurring, and that would be the easiest way to, to start looking uh, to, to patch those leaks. By the way, Stuart, I think another great uh, indication that you have a major leak is, as we said, in the opening case study, your boss comes to you and says there's a problem. And then when it comes to that, really all you can do is, is dive into optimization, dive into the analytics, start testing, and figure out how to fix it. All right, Boris, you only got about two minutes left, but can you tell us about step three? Sure. So, you know, just to explain this graphic a little bit, in, in a good, when you're in a good restaurant, the waiter will not just wait for you to point out an item on the menu that, and just pass that information off to the kitchen. Actually, the waiter will ask you questions to help you choose the right thing and also to help the chef prepare 
the right kind of meal that's going to be most enjoyable for you. So on the website, we need to be doing the same exact thing. Uh, we're going to use that visitor information that was in that chart. By the way, aside from the transactional data, the big bubble, and it's a lot more accessible and it's very highly useful that uh, marketers are finding, is just looking at where the traffic came from because that tells you the motivation for the click. It tells you what the person responded to an ad or to a link or to an email, and by responding to it, by clicking over to your landing page, they said, hey, this is interesting to me, I want this. On the last step, what we would do is, um, we want to do is create dedicated landing pages, or at least, uh, it doesn't have to be dedicated as in a static page, but they need to be pages that create segment-specific experience. So you want to use the information that you learned about your, your visitors as simple as information based on what they clicked on before the ad they used before, the, the ad that led them to this page, and use that information to build a page. And uh, that will be probably the most accessible data that you have. So in response to that question, not only look for biggest uh, leaks in your analytics, but also look at them specifically by traffic source. That would give you the easiest way, the quickest way to get to some sort of a segment and to be able to identify those leaks. Okay, Boris, sorry to uh, wrap you up pretty quickly. But I do want to let you know that we have a special $100 discount for Boris's book. Boris doesn't want to sell his book, but I'll sell it for him. It's a great book, uh, lporeport.marketingsherpa.com. You can dive into all 173 charts he has and all, and how many pages of Boris? Like 3,000 or something? Four, four million pages, I think. Basically, it, has, it includes the entire internet. <laughs> it has every, every landing page in the internet. We just, we just print it out and put it in this book. No, seriously, it's got 173 charts. 220 or so pages. It's a very complete uh, book, to, and I think it can help you a lot make the business case, either if you're an agency or a consultant or something to your clients, or if you are a marketer just up the chain of command until you can get the budget and you can get the authority to make the changes you want to make. Also, you can go to Marketing Experiments. You can see the wrap-up slide, and you can see more Boris' slides and hear Boris talk about the replay, which will be available next week. You can go to marketingexperiments.com, sign up for our email list and get notified when that happens. We want to thank you for attending another Marketing Experiments web clinic. You can learn, learn more about our training at marketingexperiments.com slash training. And we would ask you, please, a survey is going to pop up when we close out of this. Please let us know how we're doing. Uh, this is one way we optimize the web clinics is by listening to you and your feedback and uh, trying to improve them every time. So thank you very much for attending. I've been Daniel Burstein, and Boris has been Boris Grinko. And we thank you from everyone here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments Live Web Clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.